Hello, my name's Jack Howard and welcome to The Screen Test, the show where we take three of our favourite movies and make them battle it out to decide once and for all which one is the best one. And joining me as always is Chief Film Critic at The Independent, Clarice Lockery, one third of the cyber nerds, Joe Akimwin, and this week we're joined by Paul Tweddle, aka Heavy Spoilers. Nice little wink there. Just for all the fans out there, <laughs> they're both of them. War, huh. what is it good for? Making movies out of, as it turns out. And Prime Video has a number of classics available to stream right now, including Saving Private Ryan, 1917, and The Imitation Game. War movies cover such a broad range of conflicts and events, so it's quite a ripe genre to discuss. But what are your favourites? And how do you feel about war movies in general, actually? Because I've noticed recently I find them a bit hard to watch. Yeah, and I think a, a big thing about war movies in general is that a lot of the characters are quite relatable. So, uh, for example, the film I'm talking about today, the main character used to be a teacher and then he's just been drafted into this war and it's kind of seeing people that you would encounter in day-to-day life and then sort of putting yourself in, in the same shoes as them and kind of seeing how you'd handle this alongside them and... It, there's there's a real sense of camaraderie, I think, with war films. You know, there's a feeling of this band of brothers, and when they start dying, inevitably, it really hits home a lot harder. I mean, you're talking about. I mean, introduce the film that you're going to be talking about. Actually, let's do it. That, let's let's do that. Yes, yeah, Saving Private Ryan, which is about Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> so it does what it says on the tin. It's not like these other war films that you hear about where they have you know, ambiguous titles. It's it. we're saving Private Ryan. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. <laughs> Joe, what what have you picked, and and what are your feelings on War? You've come appropriately dressed. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was appropriate. So, <laughs> um, I picked the 2009 Iraq War thriller, The Hurt Locker. Um, I'm not I'm not super into war movies, but The Hurt Locker has always been a movie that I watched, and I feel like it really resonated with me, uh, and and I just really enjoyed it for as much as you enjoy Mm -hmm. war movies we've got three very very different war movies clarice what have you picked yeah so i have very complicated feelings about war movies because i think it's just it's such a tricky thing to approach and a thing to pull off because Mm -hmm. you've got to reach that balance of a honoring the sacrifice and honoring the bravery and you know honoring the fact that these were real lives and real people who suffered who did incredibly brave things who took risks but on the other side it's like the second that you start to craft like a hero narrative it it can get into really dangerous territory where you start glorifying it and where you start um putting people on pedestals and and in a sense it sort of i think that detracts from the sense that that war I mean war is senseless like that's the really awful thing about it it's like the opening what is so great about the opening of Saving Private Ryan it's the idea that like it's down to luck and that's the really sinister thing about it in that situation it's like are you in the right moment standing in the right spot and and when we talk about bravery it's like you want to honor the the bravery of the people who survived and the people who saved people and the people who did incredible things while also acknowledging that in war not everyone had the chance to be a hero not everyone has the chance to be a hero because it's it is senseless the brutality just comes out of nowhere and and like death is just always around the corner which is what i find so frightening about it so the movie that i picked is apocalypse now because i think it is such a complicated movie and and 
it has created so many narratives about you know what it means to be an anti-war or a pro-war movie and what does it say is it glorifying war is it showing the horrors of it and i I guess I at least appreciate the complexity of it, and I think mm. that's what really attracts me to Apocalypse Now. I think that the three of them are very, very different. Into, I think Apocalypse Now feels like a journey into the underworld, and The Hurt Locker feels like almost like a documentary-esque exploration of a more modern war and the psyche of a very particular soldier. And then Saving Private Ryan is this Spielberg look um, at... What it would feel like really, I mean, the closest you can maybe get to it using cinema of what it would feel like to be in war. And I think that that's what especially the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan does. It puts you in the thick of it. So we have Saving Private Ryan versus The Hurt Locker versus Apocalypse Now. Okay, the first round is the IMDb rating round where we're going to see which of your films is rated the highest and the lowest. What do you think is going to be the highest rated on IMDb versus the lowest rated? Does it does it feel kind of obvious of what's going to be in the leads, I, I feel no. like Apocalypse Now is going to take the lead. I feel you think like. so? I yeah. feel like older movies always have a better chance. Um, so I'm going to go with Apocalypse Now. But and The Hurt Locker won Best Picture at the Oscars. It, it did, it did. But it's a modern movie. There's, there's going to be so many people who it is in the front of their mind to downvote it. And this is why I feel like classical movies always rate higher so i'm gonna go apocalypse now saving private ryan and then the hurt locker last clarice what do you think uh yeah i think apocalypse now probably because it is such a cemented classic i mean it's just straight up considered one of the greatest films of all time <laughs> um i think probably saving private ryan after that because it's budging onto that territory i think um maybe we'll see in in like 10 more years <laughs> paul do you agree yeah, I do, yeah. I, I think probably as far as, you know, the way that these movies are, are viewed almost in a critical light that Apocalypse Now probably is at the top in terms of IMDb scores because, you know, it is older. Um, it, and the, there is sort of the older films get and the longer that they stand the test of time, I think the more kind of highly regarded they are. Right, okay, if you all think that Apocalypse Now is the one to beat, let's find out what the score is. Alexa... Tell me the IMDb rating for Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now has an IMDb rating of 8.4 out of 10. 8.4. Saving That's Private Ryan. Can I change my choice? <laughs> Do you think that Saving Private Ryan can beat that? Yeah, I think yeah. it can. I think okay. Saving Private Ryan probably have 9.5 or something uh, quite no. high up. I'm getting an 8.7. No. Okay. Mm, I think an 8 point, yeah, 8 Ryan 8.7 sounds right. Okay, we've got 8.7. Going once, going <laughs> All right. Um, all right, let's get the Hurt Locker done then because we don't, if we don't think that that's going to be beating an 8.4. Alexa, tell me the IMDb rating for the Hurt Locker. The Hurt Locker has an IMDb rating of 7.5 out of 10. 7.5. Expected. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so 8.4 to beat. Alexa, tell me the IMDb rating for Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan has an IMDb rating of 8.6 out of 10. Ooh, quite close. Very close. Close. 8.6. It's not much yeah. on 8.4. It feels like... We, that we, was maybe me we before just go the vote episode. On it now. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was on the episode. People just, up. just love Tom Hanks. I feel like Tom Hanks probably. Yeah. Okay, so the scores as they stand right now, Saving Private Ryan has three points, Apocalypse Now has two, and The Hurt Locker has one point. Okay, the second round is cast. So talk to me about 
Tom Hanks. Yeah, let's start with Tom Hanks and Saving Private Ryan. Tom Hanks. You start off as well with this old guy. And I tell you what, yeah, you forget. Saving Private Ryan has a bit of a twist in it. Because the old guy at the start, you think that's Tom Hanks. You think it's supposed to be Tom Hanks, yeah. He looks a bit like him and it cuts Mm. to him on the boat. Anyway, old guy's in it next to Tom Hanks. You've got Tom Hanks, (laughs) Woody, um, the guy from Philadelphia, Tom Hanks from the movie Tom Hanks. (laughs) You've got Matt Damon, who's getting saved, Vin Diesel... Vin Diesel, yeah. When I yeah. rewatched this for for this podcast, I forgot that Vin Diesel was yeah, in Vin this Diesel. film. Yeah, Vin Diesel. I think, I isn't it? Didn't Vin Diesel just send Spielberg a letter, being like, "I love you, and I love you. I think you're amazing." And then he put him in the film. I don't know if I'm making this up. <laughs> that or sounds this is like just something Vin Diesel would do. Like yeah. <laughs> but if you got a letter and the name on it was Vin Diesel, and you didn't know who that was, you think that's quite a cool name. Yeah. I'll put him in the movie. And Tom Hanks as well. He's he's not. He never phones it in, but he's he's so good in this. Yeah. And he's very relatable as well. That's what I'm saying. You can totally put yourself in his shoes because he just carries sort of a down-to-earth feeling throughout the entire thing. And he's in charge of all these other soldiers. And then he says that he's a teacher. And you're just like, you're just not cut out for this job. You've been totally stitched up here and put in charge of all these people and their lives. And yeah, you're just not cut out for it. It feels like... um a little bit of a cliche from movies now, but I'm assuming Seven Private Ryan kind of just, it was an original thing, but the idea of like, I'm not going to tell you my backstory yeah. you know, for a long time, like not wanting to get too personal, not wanting to connect with the people around him. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a very relatable thing. And he's clearly affected by what's going on as well because they often have where his hands... Yeah, the trembling shaking. hand. Yeah, great. Yeah, and, and this, this, this film wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be what it is without Tom Hanks leading the charge as well. No. And he's, I tell you why he's had such a good career because he's the best. Joe, what about in the Hurt Locker? All right, in the Hurt Locker, we don't have anyone as renowned as Tom Hanks, but we do have Jeremy Renner, who I would say is is one of his best performances still today. Um, he was nominated for Best Actor for it. Um, it's also starring Anthony Mackie, Anthony Mackie, which was his first movie that. Um, kind of got him any kind of critical acclaim mm. uh so and i feel like these two characters kind of i'm gonna throw in brian timothy um Garifi. i hope that's how i pronounce his name but i feel like these three characters together um guide you through this whole movie each of them is very different in their take on the war and how the war affects them and i feel like you kind of relate the most to anthony mackie's character who is um, a sergeant who's in there and just wants things to get done right and when Jeremy Renner's character comes in who is risky who is the main character but isn't likable is sort of the anti-hero you could say um we've got a deal with him and it's like it puts you in a tense position because we're following him around while he puts people in danger in scenarios where everyone's in danger already he's supposed to be the person you're looking to to keep us all safe but he's he's pretty much on the edge and I feel like Jeremy Renner does a great job in displaying that that unhinged type of kind of calculated disregard for everything that's going around so um, the, the film opens with the quote war is a drug yeah and 
I mean, obviously, we're going to get into the spoilers of everything here. Like, there's no, there's no holding back. But there's a moment when he leaves the war and oh, goes stop, back. Stop, stop, oh, stop, well, stop. okay. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, I don't want to, don't want to tread on your points, oh. Joe. But yeah, I agree. I think, I think that Jamie Render is incredible in it and displays that war as a drug thing very, very well in his performance. Very, very like, understated. He's, like really unlikable in a way that feels grounded. Like I feel like I recognize that person. Like that just sort of, I don't know. I think the way that he he molds the arrogance so it, it's it's subtle, but you kind of feel this <laughs> baseline irritation with him while having a respect for what he does. Like that's really yeah. hard to pull off. Yeah, he has crazy. a death wish. Really, he's, he's putting his life on the line every time he goes out to save everyone. But at the same time, there's like almost a disregard for the rules and regulations of how war is supposed to be conducted, which is one of the most sacred things when you're you know, you've got other people's lives in your hand and it's it's crazy how how well he, he pulls it off. And I don't even know if I would call it arrogance. It's just, I don't know. I feel I just feel like he is just a, a, a piece unhinged. And this is like Jack was saying, this is his drug, like this is his fix. And every time he goes in, he's he's trying to, he's trying to get off and he's not thinking about anything else other than that. All right, Clarice, Apocalypse Now. Well, where do you want to start? <laughs> Marlon Brando? Martin Sheen? Dennis I think let's Hoffman? start with Martin Sheen since he's in it for most of it and Brando's in it for about two minutes. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the two minutes you can't see him for most of it. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's so good. Like, Stop it's moving the like lights! monster <laughs> creeping out of the shadows. Uh, yeah, what's interesting about Martin Sheen is that originally they were going to have Harvey Keitel and there's kind of differing stories on this. Some people just say that Harvey Keitel left because of a contract dispute. But I think Francis Ford Coppola tells the story, which I find really interesting, that Harvey Keitel was like too present in the moment and kept being too like reactive to things. And what he was really looking for in that character is someone who would be constantly absorbing the trauma, which is what Martin Sheen does so well in this. Like... He's such a still kind of passive character, and yet he is at the center of everything. And you're always kind of watching him and how he's reacting to things and kind of wondering, oh, is he going to crack? Like, mm -hmm. is there going to be something? Especially because at the beginning you see him. Yeah, like he's already, he's sort already of a bit <laughs> crossed a kind of line. Mm -hmm. And so you're sort of constantly waiting for the next line to be crossed. And, and yeah, I think it it's interesting because it's a film filled with like very flashy performances. I mean, Dennis Hopper is like Dennis Hoppering all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and like Lawrence Fishburne, who was yeah. 14 yeah. That was mad. at the time yeah, of, of this or when he was cast. And he is and let's like not forget that incredible. adorable puppy. That puppy, that oh, and then the puppy is probably dead. It's really sad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, Harrison Ford as well. Yeah, Harrison, Harrison Ford pops Ford. up. That's and great. and uh, a cameo from Francis Ford Coppola as a director. Yeah, which I think was because they were struggling to find like English speaking actors. There was a story behind it, and Francis right. Ford Coppola was like, "No, nah, just do it." Yeah, it's so probably, it's him and it's cinematographer. It's just in one of the most like weirdly fourth wall breaking yeah. like cameos. Like I like I, I almost was like it felt strange when I when I watched it. Like to see him be like, Don't look at the camera, carry on like as if you're fighting. As if you And I was like, This is very, very odd just to see the, yeah. the actual filmmaker telling the actor to do that on camera. Yeah, and it's sort of like 
breaking down the idea of of yeah just like the the whole vietnam war is that there was and i think those characters because they come in which with such a sense of like machismo like they're very like we're gonna surf and listen to rock and roll and like get babes and they like crash into this other country just the like complete and utter recklessness of their actions and so i think it's like i don't know it's like they're really performing like their Americanness in a way of being mm. like, hey, we're America, we're here, we do these things. And so I think having Francis Ford Coppola with the camera at that moment feels really significant is kind mm-hmm. of going, yeah, what you're doing, is that really the truth? Is that mm. who you really are as a person or is that who you think you are as a person and what you want to like perform for the world? And what about Brando? I mean, <laughs> this is the thing. I, I feel like there's a lot of, negativity around his performance in this because there's all these stories about him turning up to the set like completely unprepared and he was being a fuss and he was you know that sounds like all the stories about Brando (laughs) but this is the thing I was reading about it and actually if you look at the the notes and like this is the story that Francis Ford Coppola tells about him being unprepared but if you look at the notes like he, he had read the book like he had a lot of opinions on the character and he did contribute to the script in meaningful ways I think he really did care about Kurtz and about delivering that performance and I think his performance is incredible because of just how terrifying it is and that's the thing he is mostly in the shadows but that to me it's and like it's a two-hour build-up as well yeah. it's a two-hour build-up to meeting him and it isn't a disappointing reveal either mm-hmm. it's after that long of, of stretching out the tension and be like okay who is this because it feels like you're about to meet the devil yeah, and it, that is kind of <laughs> who he is. Like this sort of ancient god, primitive, primordial figure, and he's always hunched over and he's got his shaved heads and he, he's always, you know, Brando mumbling things <laughs> about like apocalypses and civilization burning down. And, and yeah, I can't imagine anyone else being that frightening on such a intense base level. Mm. I'm going to give Apocalypse Now, I think, the three points because of uh, mostly Martin Sheen. I think that his, I think acting is reacting and that's understated a lot of the time. And he, throughout the entire film, is just, his face never looks like he's not involved in what's going on and actually reacting to the things that we're seeing around it. I'm then going to give it two points to Saving Private Ryan, Tom Hanks, and one point to The Hurt Locker. Although I do think that the camaraderie between Anthony Mackie and Jamie Renner's character is particularly very, very good. So at the moment, Saving Private Ryan and Apocalypse Now have five points each and The Hurt Locker has two points. Round three is memorable scene and I'm going to come straight to Paul for, I assume we're talking about the opening scene. No, we're talking about the letter typing scene where all the secretaries are typing. I'm just kidding. We're talking about the opening. (laughs) What? What an opening. And what works about it, I think, really well is that you know where they have to go to and you follow them as they go towards it. So it's a real journey for you as an audience member as well. Whereas the way that other films, you know, it's shot over their shoulders almost. And the way that the other films are shot, I don't really feel like there's a scene in them where you kind of go through a charge with the characters. Whereas this, the way the camera works as well, there's a lot of shaky cam in it, and you, at points you feel like you're a soldier with them, and that is, works especially well when you go under it's the water. Dizzy. Yeah, exactly, because you're bobbing up and down under the waves as well, and then when you hit the sand, 
you kind of join Tom Hanks as he takes a moment of just complete shell shock and looks around him and you, you're very much fixated from his point of view as well and they do such a good job of capturing the perspective of people going through this charge and it's just it works so well of just constantly catching you off guard so there isn't a dull moment in it and then you just feel it completely bearing down on you and then when they do get a moment at the end where they breathe a sigh of relief you just say wow this has been non-stop it's been completely relentless it's very traumatic i can totally understand why people have ptsd from this at the opening scene i was reading today there was actually veterans um who who couldn't finish that scene when they watched it in the cinema and they just had to get up and walk out Mm. because it just recaptured that feeling of storming the beach so well and this is what I'm talking about. Like, obviously, our generation have never experienced no. anything like that. But just even just getting a glimpse, watching something like that, is just like, nah, I, I, I can barely even watch yeah. this in a Hollywood-made film. I can't even imagine what it would be like. The fear that you'd you'd feel when you're like on those boats, being like, all right, I guess me and my friends might die now. That's just, it's just horrid. Yeah, and, and it catches su- that yeah. feeling. The sound design is absolutely incredible mm-hmm. on it as well. It holds up really, really well in terms of um, just the way everything, the, the the even throughout the film, the way that the, the rain hits the water, it kind of transforms into bullet sounds hitting things, and it's just so relentless, and you you just feel for these characters going through it, and it it does feel like a real gut punch watching it happen. What really gets me about that scene is the claustrophobia because like the choice to do Omaha Beach because I know the other beaches it wasn't quite the same they weren't hitting this wall of defense and it's so frightening when they they reach that that level you know with the sandbank and they realize that like no one else has made it and there's nowhere else to go but forward but forward is like where death is and I find that particular moment the most frightening yes it's like you can't turn oh. around <laughs> yeah you can't turn as around as soon as that door goes down yeah it's I... either charge or stay where you are and get killed mm. yep joe what are you picking from the hurt locker yeah that's such a tough scene and i and i thought that would be probably the best action scene out of the three movies so i went with a completely opposite direction and i think one of the most memorable scenes for me is what you alluded to earlier Jack is um, the serial eye scene. I'll scene. Oh, mate, that is the thing that sticks out to me more than anything in, in this film. It yeah. is overwhelming, this shot. I mean, after Jeremy Renner's finished his tour in Iraq, he heads home to his wife and child, and he's just doing everyday things, cleaning the gutters, getting cereal, um, cooking with his wife, and um, he's just there talking to her, telling her war stories, and you can just tell by her face that this isn't like a just just today thing. This is him every day, all day, talking about war, talking about the thing he loves the most. And then it, it just, there's a deep sadness in me when I see him. It's another father and son moment. It's, this is going to be a thing where everyone's like, Joe's going for a father and son moment. Where he's talking to... Uh, Maybe you'll get a little bonus point every time you bring up a father and son thing. <laughs> he's, talking, he's talking to his son and he says to his son that um, the older you get, there's less and less things you fall in love with or you that you love. And like basically for him right now, there's only one. And in the next scene, you see him walking back into war, going back on another tour. And I'm just like, that is like, it's heartbreaking 
And it's just, it's just, it's just, it's crazy to me mm-hmm. just that in all of these movies, all you're going to find, all three of these movies, you're going to find all the soldiers don't want to be where they're at in those moments. But he is the one guy who, who needs that to survive. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, a, it's that cereal aisle is the, is the shot that I remember. And it's specifically the, the amount of choice he has and the amount of, it's just doing normal stuff and doesn't know how he doesn't know how to be there like it doesn't make sense to him he's been there for so long that like the way he lives now just it it, to me that's what it felt like seeing him in that aisle it was like i don't i'm not used to having this much choice and this just seems almost absurd to me like why why is there this much to choose from and i think that catherine bigelow does that very well and i'm not the biggest fan of zero dark 30 but i think that there's some good stuff and and specifically it's like when um jessica chastain at the end of that film cries after they've got osama bin laden feels very similar to the hurt locker it's like what do i do now it's that it's that desperation of like the thing that meant the most to me is now gone it's finished but yeah the, the tragedy of of the hurt locker is that he chooses to go back and leave what most of us would consider to be home home yeah yeah it's like i to be slightly critical of the hurt locker like the thing with Catherine bigelow is that she's so good at the psychology of it Mm. but then i feel like she she goes in so close to these characters that when you're trying to put those movies in the sort of wider war genre like you don't get much sense of context because that's the thing i always walk away from the hurt locker with because it's such a good portrait of one man and this isn't really a critique but but just like a, a thing to say <laughs> that compared to Saving Private Ryan Apocalypse Now, it's so intimate that you never really get a wider picture of like, what is this war? Why are we fighting it? And like any That's of those why questions. I think it's even better than those other movies because for, for Jeremy Renner's character, the reason why they're at war is irrelevant. He just needs war. That's what he needs. So whoever's politics it is of why we're doing this and why we're that. And for some ch- soldiers, I believe that is, that is, they just need, they, they're they signing up. They're enlisting to protect their country for whatever reason. And what Catherine Bigelow is showing us is that it doesn't matter what reason you're here for. Like that, that's, this is what it is. This mm. is, this is what you're told sort of to do. It reminds me of, um, cause it's more of a character study, isn't it? It yeah. sort of reminds me of when we were talking on the boxing episode, a few uh, episodes ago is like Raging Bull is not a boxing movie it's like a it's about a boxer and why he specifically chooses to do this and that's what I think the Herlock is kind of doing it sort of feels similar it's just exploring one particular character's point of view um, through this awful um, thing that he seems to be addicted to Clarice which of the scenes in the three I mean first of all does Apocalypse Now need to be that long uh, Does it need to be that long? I like, watched yes. the three-hour version. And they made it longer. Yeah, made it three hours and 40 or something at some point. I don't well, know what he's doing. I think, like, I don't know. I mean, people are going to disagree with me on this, but I think for a film like Apocalypse Now, like, the exhaustion of it yeah. is kind of part of the film, and yeah. I don't think emotionally it would be as effective it was if it was just like a neat little like 90 minute <laughs> 90 minute trip up the river yeah fun, fun, I, fun. I don't mean 90 minutes but i mean there's there seems to be some parts of it and we'll get onto the specifics of what scene you want to talk about but mm. there seems to be some parts of it that are like i i get it and and, and i and i i'm gonna get told off for that as well but like i feel like sometimes it borders into 
the indulgence of it rather than I don't know. Mm. I don't know if I agree okay. with myself as I'm Wait, saying. I think you're semi making a point I agree with in the fact that Francis Ford Coppola as a filmmaker, he is kind of like that and not indulgent in like a self-indulgent yeah. so great, but he really sort of relishes moments and I think like sometimes it films with like Dracula, like I'm not a huge Dracula fan because it's just like, it's just too much. <laughs> it's too much sometimes. But I think for Apocalypse Now, it's, it's what that film needed because it needed to feel like this endless slog of brutality and you needed to feel like the extremity of the emotions because uh, this is something that the cinematographer kept saying um, when I was researching this. Like, it's about the beauty and the horror and you need these two extremes to make sense of war because it's about the... The beauty in terms of like how the men idealize themselves and idealize their mission and idealize what they're doing, you know, versus the the brutality of of war. And I guess that leads well into the scene that I picked, which is unsurprisingly the the helicopter scene, the Red Valkyries, yeah, which is like, I mean, we'll get to cultural influences is just one of the most famous scenes ever and has just been endlessly copied over and over and it's over again. It's just when again. the music stops as well. It's when it suddenly stops. It's when they're doing it. So I'll let you do this. I'm taking Yeah, no, no, because I was going to add to that. I think it's like the music stopping is so interesting because it goes back to the idea that it's like all about the performance of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like it's such a momentary thing because they're in the helicopter and they're going to bomb this village basically so they can watch a guy surf. Like it's so the whole idea around it is so barbaric, but in that moment, like they just think they are the toughest shit, the great invaders, the do-gooders there, the rock and rollers. Like, well, it, it sort of fits with what Brando talks about later about making sense, uh, you know, making friends with horror. Mm. The idea that like these guys seem to be like, well, we can, so we will, and because we we know we can get away with it, we're just going to do that so that we can have some time to surf. Yeah, and that's the absurdity <laughs> of it. Like we're going to bomb this village so we can surf because we can. And I think that even the opening image, which is just the the bombs going off in the trees, it's. I don't think it's. I mean, I know that war films kind of, by their very nature, are glorifying war in a way because it's showing it. it, it do you know what I'm yeah, trying well, to say? Yeah, well, this is interesting because Francis Ford Coppola has actually talked about this because he said that he does not believe that Apocalypse Now is an anti-war film because. Like, no, he wouldn't consider any of the films we're talking about today an anti-war film because he was saying the second that you depict the violence, it does glorify it to some extent. And to truly make an anti-war film, it would have to be something that is purely about peace and joy and happiness. That's what an anti-war film is to him. And I do kind of agree with him. And that's the 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 thing I've always had with war films is that it's so hard. It's so hard because the second you depict ideas of, of heroism and you depict the violence, it's like even with inten- without intending it, you can slip towards glorifying it. I mean, it's even what I just said about the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. Like, it's horrific and it puts you in the middle of it. But then also it's like, ha that guy got shot in the head after he took his helmet yeah. off. And Do you they, know what I mean? They made a Call of Duty game and they made Medal of Honor. So clearly some people like... <laughs> 
do do I don't know seem see some sort of glorifying of heroism in it and I think that's sort of true of Hurt Locker as well and again these aren't yeah. critiques I think that's what Hurt Locker that, tackles almost though isn't it yeah the, the glorification of war and how a character has sort of become addicted to that the the, the feeling of release that he gets from detonating bombs and surviving coming that close to death um and yeah i I feel like every film in this list could be seen as glorifying war in some ways depending on whether you interpret it well or not like you could see that that scene with the helicopter is if you're american being like yeah yeah, usa usa kind of moment where you know america's going out all guns blazing and really stamping down on people that are opposites to their ideals and I think the, these films can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. But just with Apocalypse Now, I just think Apocalypse, is it over now? Because it's been going on for about three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been waiting to do have that you, joke. How long have you been we waiting to make that, that joke? Yeah. <laughs> but, but Apocalypse Now is three hours long, but so is Saving Private yeah, Ryan. Yeah. Yes, yeah, but couldn't they, they save them a bit faster? <laughs> yeah, they, they feel like very different times anyway well i went to that fake ryan the first time played by nathan fillion and you're like oh they've finally got ryan we're an hour in they're wrapping it up get my bags (laughs) (laughs) is everyone that's just fine with the plot of saving private ryan like what do you mean i like oh this mother's lost three sons we must save the fourth because he's more important than everybody else it's a very american fictionalized story isn't it this is the thing about steven spielberg that he's such a humanist, I guess that would be yeah. the right word. That he's very sentimental. Yeah, and it's both Saving Private Ryan's greatest strength and its weakness Earn because it. he wouldn't be able to do that opening scene if he didn't care so deeply about like yeah, the you, pain yeah. and the suffering. Joe, the, the end line then, that you just said yeah. as well, like the, the the earn it, like when he dies. I even I was like, bit, it, it, it almost felt I read a bit cringy now. There's so much yeah. corn going everywhere when that well, happened. I was like, Ugh. it works as a metaphor for war because how many soldiers have died just for one person to to have a normal life like you think about all the people that died in the war i think there was about 50 million casualties altogether just to save you know never have so many sacrificed so much for so few and ryan sort of almost personifies that yeah I, i what a great little discussion guys um i'm just going to quickly give out some points this is my least favorite part now because you've made such great points. Again, this show is getting harder and harder every time. Uh, I'm going to give Saving Private Ryan three points, Apocalypse Now two points, and The Hurt Locker one point, even though I love all of them. I feel God, like I hate this bit. I feel like you're in The Hurt Locker giving oh, these uh, points so. out. Um, so, right now, Saving Private Ryan is in the lead with eight <laughs> points. Apocalypse Now has seven points, and The Hurt Locker has three what, points. What, what? What? Jeremy Renner is not going to be happy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's all right. He'll be in another Avengers movie. Yeah, Anthony Mackie as well, Falcon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Everyone two of them in before. that movie was in a mark. Because Guy <laughs> Pearce, yes. Evangeline Lilly. Yes, what, they're all pre-Marvel. Kevin Feige, Feige just like, he just, <laughs> just looked at the hurt. Hurt. Okay. Yeah. He was looking for the best war them. movie and <laughs> took the whole cast. <laughs> okay, the next round is craft. So this is a moment where we can talk about anything to do with the filmmaking, whether it be the directing all the way to the catering, if you want, if you know anything about that. So we're going to go not. to Joe 
first <laughs> with uh, the Hurt Locker. With Craft, I went with directing with Catherine Brigelow. Um, she got the Academy Award for Best Director the first Still time. Still the only woman to win Still. Best Director at the Oscars. Still. Which, Sort it out. Which, Fingers crossed, not for long. Which I thought was great. Um, I think what she brings to this movie in her directing is what we've alluded to earlier on in the show. It's just a level of... Um, person like this this movie is so personal um not just from like the fo- character we're following but from the way it's directed the shots that she has where um jeremy renner's in the bomber suit and we go to the first person view where we're seeing what he sees um the opening scene where we're with the the staff sergeant who dies and one of the soldiers sees the guy at the meat uh at the meat locker with the phone and he's running over and he looks through his scope and it goes to that first person view. And these are things that are done in video games as well. To Isn't it just like when, you, when you're looking through that scope, can't you just hear like the breath? Yeah, you can hear the breathing. Yeah. You can hear the, like there's two breaths and then like you can just, it's like there's so little going on, but there's mm-hmm. also so much and it puts you legitly in that mind of the soldier. And I feel like this is where as a war movie, I like it more than anything else because it makes you feel like you're on the ground with them and it makes you wait as boots. well like with that when when they're trapped that that's a great that tension in that scene is incredible because yeah. they, they make you wait with them and while they're being watched that entire time and i love catherine bigelow's sort of documentary-esque style yeah. it really really puts you in it the it feels like they are just observing a real event that happened and obviously it did in a way happen and this is but like she's she's capturing it as if it's real yeah she does lots of stuff with purpose-built cameras and handheld stuff to make sure that you get that vibe of like just being so enclosed and personal to what they're shooting and i feel like this even plays to the bigger role of um what clarice uh, mentioned earlier that it doesn't give you the bigger scope of what's going on around it's just we're narrowly focused on right here and we're in this moment. And I feel that she builds up tension in every scene with with just how it's shot and how it's directed. And I just mm-hmm. love that about the movie. I think that the, the directing in all three of these actually really emphasizes subjectivity. Like what you were just saying about the point of view um, angles. There's a lot of that in Apocalypse Now. And I don't think there's many POV angles specifically in Saving Private Ryan, but it absolutely is putting you in there with them and giving you like, it's keeping you with Tom Hanks and those guys and on the ground with them the entire time and you feel and go through what they go through. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a big thing for all these war movies. Um, Paul, what are you going for uh, in Saving Private Ryan? What in the craft speaks to you? So I think Spielberg is one of the best of all time. Is he? And by far, yeah. <laughs> you, have, you not, have you not heard of the guy before? You know, he, I've, heard, I've sort of heard it around the block a few times. Yeah, so he's good, isn't he? And he, I tell you what, he, he lost to best direct, he oh, lost best picture to yeah, Shakespeare. To in Shakespeare love. in Love. Mm, what? <laughs> what are they doing? That but was he, a uh, a campaign by he who will not be named. Yeah, not a good yeah that for films. I don't feel if that was the best picture, but um, it just combines all of his styles in this. You've got his vast cinematic ones that kind of show a soldier standing against a, a field and you just kind of get the the width and breadth of the, the location. And then you've got the, the absolutely insane moments where he's just going crazy with a shaky cam and following these soldiers over their shoulder. And he manages to do both really well. Now, the Hurt Locker, 
does one style really well, I feel. Um, and Apocalypse Now sort of does another style really well. But Spielberg, I feel, does them both to very, very successful ends. It's even the way that Spielberg, you know, it's his very Spielberg way of telling stories sometimes. Yeah. Like the, 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 the woman going outside of the house to find out that her sons have died and just seeing her collapse and you don't even need to yeah. have any dialogue there. Exactly. It's, it's stuff that only Spielberg really does. Yeah, and he's so... Uh, by this point, he was so accomplished as a director and everything he tries, he nails. There's not really a scene in this film that I think fails... And you, you, you know, nineteen seventeen does it really well as well, where you kind of follow these characters through different environments and see the different, you know, you've got your your towns, you've got your fields, you've got your bases, you've got your soldier camps, and you've got your ambushes. And Spielberg does that as well, where you go through from the beach to the fields to the French town where Vin Diesel is. You also have different scenarios where there's snipers or there's soldiers in um, trenches. And it, it's just all put together really well. You can tell he looked at different battles throughout the war and said, how do I make this into one cohesive story? Mm. And it doesn't ever feel forced at any point. You're not, you're not ticking things off like, oh, well, this is the, uh, the, the bit where they make the soldier dig his own grave, that old scene from the yeah. movie. This is the bit where they kind of sit about and talk about things. It's just really well done. So both of you have gone for directing, and that makes sense because both of these films also won the Academy Award for Best Director. Clarice, are you? What are you? It's got to be the cinematography. Yeah. So Vittorio Storaro was a cinematographer, and what I love about him is that he tells a story that he turned up to the set of Apocalypse. Now he'd come off um, something fairly low budget, and like he turned up with like very basic equipment. He was <laughs> more like, prepared than Brando. <laughs> Yeah, he rocked up to the, the set like, hey, I've got like this little thing and this little thing. And um, the fact that he did that and then still managed to create some of the most beautiful hallucinogenic things that I have ever seen on film. I genuinely think like, it's it maybe one of the most gorgeous, like like in terms of like overall, like, there's not like a particular shot in it that stands out like everything in it is immense it looks incredible it's one of the most beautifully choreographed and lensed and photographed pieces of work I've, i think i've ever seen and the way that it yeah. dances with everything sometimes it feels like it's how did they not do this with cgi sometimes it, it just feels impossible yeah. considering everything that was going on that set people having heart attacks and seizures and helicopters suddenly disappearing to go fight insurgents like it was well we can get to that later notoriously disastrous set and the fact that vittoria wrote right in the middle of all this was like just lensing some of the most beautiful stuff ever and what I I love particularly, he said that he wanted to create the contrast between artificial light and natural light. And so the, the constant sort of battle, I guess, between like the artificiality of the American soldiers and they, they those colored, um, I don't know what they are actually, are they flares that they keep? They keep yeah. pulling off. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not even sure exactly what they are either. Yeah, they keep they keep setting off these these coloured flares and creating this sort of like rainbow pattern, which seems really beautiful. But then, often it's like right in the background, there's a bunch of bodies or something horrific, a massacre has happened, and it's that constant contrast between 
oh my god I'm, I'm trying to take in like two different emotions at the same time which is again it's the beauty and the horror so I, I i watched apocalypse now very recently and i haven't really like researched it much at all i've I, it's always been one of these films that i just haven't i never got around to do it before uh before this show and i was watching it and i immediately interpreted this feels like the journey into the underworld mm. and i don't think they're being shy about that i don't think that's me being clever and picking up like, no, oh, I've, I've like... i think it's very hey. like clear <laughs> that they're not going this is not a like hurt locker or saving private ryan it's not a direct realistic adaptation of what war feels like it's more it felt to me more like i was experiencing someone's memory and trauma of what war felt like and like the flashes of the memory that was like oh there was this bit where soldiers were in the water and then there was this bit where this and it just felt like a, a, a montage of all of it happening at once and i think that's what they managed to capture true although i think like the one thing to keep in mind is that this is the vietnam war mm. and you know a big part of that conflict was the chaos the absolute chaos that you know they, this wasn't like world war you know this wasn't omaha beach of like okay we're gonna do this we're gonna do this it was just like yeah, it wasn't an operation blind massacring yeah. and and a trust and all of it hidden in the jungle no one really knew what was happening and so i i think in that sense like you're totally right it is a completely surreal like memory trip but i think it the choice to do that is so appropriate for the subject that they're covering. All right, I'm going to give out some points now. And again, I hate this because you've all argued so well and the movies are clearly both beautifully directed and beautifully shot. I'm just going to have to go with my gut. Um, I'm going to give Apocalypse Now three points because the cinematography is unlike anything I've ever seen. And there's some things where older movies look like older movies and this just doesn't this does this looks like like it could have been shot th this year with cgi and yet it's not and i think that's just in in incredible um and then i'm going to give it to the hurt locker I'm going to give two points to the Hurt Locker and a single point to Saving Private Ryan. I well, you better hope Steven Spielberg doesn't watch this. Uh, yeah, I just think that. Tell you that one. Because the Hurt Locker did it on a smaller budget and and it, and is it is more specific sort of character look. At Don't the tell it's... me. Tell Steven. All right, have you got him? Is he next to you? He's coming. <laughs> just out of frame. <laughs> a baseball cap just rises <laughs> out. <laughs> so currently, Apocalypse Now is one point ahead with ten points, and Seven Private Ryan has nine points, and The Hurt Locker has five points. Okay, so the final round is cultural impact. So how is it that your film has affected the rest of the the world of cinema, if at all? And I'm going to start with the most obvious one, with Clarice. How has Apocalypse Now affected the world of cinema? Well, you can tell it was influential because it was referenced in Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Oh, so yeah. just give yeah. me the three points, let's end this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Joe? No, no, wait, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I think the thing with Apocalypse Now is that it, it wrote a whole new kind of film language, which was like the language of the Vietnam War. And obviously you've seen that both in like further films down the line, like stuff like Pl Platoon is obviously heavily influenced by Apocalypse Now. But also I think if you look at movies like Kong Skull Island, I mean, that's just Apocalypse Now. But Tropic put, Thunder, um, but comedy. Tropic Thunder. I mean, it, it sort of set the template of like, right you're gonna have like the the doors playing every single time mm. you've got the helicopters riding into the sunset you've got like 
I don't know, you've got like the characters all driven to matter. You know, it's 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 this set template that's been repeated over and over again. I went onto IMDb and I was looking at the list of the number of times Apocalypse Now has been referenced in other movies. And I started scrolling and I think I didn't stop scrolling for like five minutes. I just couldn't see the bottom of that list because that's how just influential it is. I think the, Everyone the line, knows that scene. I, I love the smell of napalm in the morning is, is like, it, it's, it's as iconic as something like, uh, you can't handle the truth. Like, even if you haven't seen it, you know the line, and you might even not even know Even if you don't know, know what napalm is. Yeah. <laughs> People are just like, like, children are repeating it. It's yeah. like, do you know what this is that you're, you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just saying things. Like, I... And I think that's the interesting thing about it. It's like both on the superficial, like pop culture level, it's just blown up in a huge way. But also on a filmmaking level, you're constantly seeing people go back to Apocalypse Now to sort of go, okay, right, how do we depict war again? Yeah, how do we do this? And Madison War and Brutality. Oh, yeah, like how Francis Ford Coppola did. Okay, let's just do that. Paul. It's completely changed the landscape of, I think, media in general. Saving Private Ryan after its release, there was a huge resurgence in in interest for for World War Two after that film got released, and this went across from video games to documentaries. Even there's even full channels just dedicated to discussing things about the Second World War, and I think they're cashing in a lot on the hype behind Saving Private Ryan because it just came out and put this, you know, in the same way that there's been a couple of films recently that have brought back the First World War in a lot of people's minds. Saving Private Ryan did that for the Second World War, and it's been copied in so many yeah. video games. It, for movies, it almost felt like, why bother? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's it, just Steven Spielberg, he's a master when it comes to the medium, and for him to go from Indiana Jones to then Schindler's List to then this, you can see why it was just stacking up awards, because it's so well made. And I think a lot of people kind of uh, second world war movies especially in the the early 2000s like enemy at the gates um and, and so on they they all kind of looked at this for the template of how to really lay things out and it's just down to how well it handles every single scenario that these characters are put into now i don't know if it's been referenced in beverly hills chihuahua or not but it's top wow. dog i think when it comes nice, to... Nice, nice job. I've got dog puns, mate. <clears throat> i got them. Joe, I mean, we've already mentioned the fact that every cast member is now... An Avenger. <laughs> an Avenger. The only other thing I would say besides that is obviously I feel like this is an uphill battle, but um, I feel like maybe the cultural impact for The Hurt Locker hasn't been seen yet. Obviously, Catherine Bigelow, first uh, female winner of the Director's Award. And I feel like... I mean, that's significant. That's, yeah, I feel like that has opened the door for you know directors in the future female directors in the future to get the award and i feel like maybe 10 20 years from now we'll look back and be like catherine bigelow made this possible for everyone else later on down the line okay i'm gonna give the final points i think it's gonna have to be top marks to saving private ryan and then apocalypse now and then the hurt locker so that means that the finishing marks are Hurt Locker with six points, Apocalypse Now, and Saving Private Ryan are still neck and neck with 12 points each, which means that we've got a tiebreaker. So what we're going to do is I'm going to put 30 seconds on the clock. Oh, no. And you're going to each have... 
that time to give me your final pitch as to why I should give you that final point. Beverly Hills Chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe, I'm going to ask for your help on this. I think you and I should team up and uh, and decide who we think we should give the prestigious screen test award. Right. Who we should give it to? Okay, so. I think Clarice is very nervous, so I'm going to let her go second. Do you want to go second? Just time stresses me out. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So, Paul, 30 seconds. You ready? Let's go. Alexa, set a timer for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Starting now. So, Apocalypse Now, it's very much centered around the horror of war. And it doesn't really deal that much with the humanity of it. Whereas Saving Private Ryan, it deals with that humanity and that horror and it layers it in a film that makes you really see things from the soldier's point of view and the reason behind why they were giving their lives for, for the people back home just so they could have some sense of normality. Apocalypse Now, great film, well made, nice cinematography, very, very long though and not as entertaining I don't feel. That's your time. Right. Why are we doing dis? I didn't realize we we're doing dis tracks. I, was just, I, I just went off on Alexa. one. I'm sorry. Okay. Set a timer for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Starting now. Right. Since we're apparently going negative on this, then I guess we're going to go negative. Saving Private Ride, the opening sequence of Storming of the Beach, quite rightly, one of the greatest film sequences of all time. You said it. But I would argue the rest of the film, and we've kind of touched on this, is very much rooted in ideas of like American fantasy, what we want heroism to look like. Apocalypse Now is the brutal reality. I know it's, it's surreal. I know it's about being inside someone's mind, but it's Five really seconds. tackling ideas of like... What is, what is war? Why do people go to war? And, and what happens in war? What, okay. what drives people to brutality? <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm so bad at this stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that was great. That was great. Okay. Very well argued. I wasn't expecting you both to just go at each other. Well, I wasn't going to, <laughs> it but was I was a like, war. if it's going to be a, <laughs> yeah. a fully anti-apocalypse now, I feel like I, I need I, to... I kind of agree with what Clarice is saying. I think that after a while, uh, Saving Private Ryan sort of meanders. But then again, it's a movie. so does Apocalypse Now. I think the, fir both f the first hour of both of those films are great, and then it just takes a while to get there. Um, uh, okay, Joe, what are you thinking? I'm going to have to go Clarice, because I feel like her argument that Saving Private Ryan, great starting, and then it's like American fantasy and hers is the real actualization of what's happening in someone's mind i feel like that stands mm. that that kind of works for me yeah. i agree <laughs> so but it's a movie spoilers. it's meant to be entertaining as well well come on now You've sometimes movies are meant to make you feel bad i'm not the judge so yeah you're not <laughs> but I, I think that that, i think that's i think that's a good I, i'm sort of leaning towards that but I, yeah i think saving private ryan is is the fan favorite and that makes me want to go the other way. So I'm going to award it to... I'm going to award it to Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> the Beverly Hills Chihuahua is so disappointed yeah. in you. Devastated. So, Paul. Thank you. I'm going to hand you the, uh, the Screen Test Award through time and space. Amazing. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Here we go. Enjoy. Thank you. <laughs> Where are you going to keep it? In the bin. Brilliant. <laughs> okay, now it's time for my favourite part of the show. It's Unbox the Plot. In this box, I have some clues to one of my favourite war movies, and I need you to try and guess 
what that movie is based on the four clues. Once you've committed your answer to your whiteboard, you can't go back. So the earlier you guess, like if you both get the same answer, like if you and Clarice get the same guess, but you guess on an earlier point, you win. You understand? Okay. All right, here we go. Let's unbox the plot. Okay. Unbox the plot. Unbox the plot. I'd say it's actually being delivered by Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the first clue is apple strudel. It's a box of apple strudel, everybody. Anybody going to commit an answer to, to a whiteboard on the first clue? Anyone going to be brave enough for that? I'm no. thinking. No. All right, I'm going on to the second clue. Could you could you call that apple strudel an American pie by any chance, or an apple pie? Mm, no, it is yeah. apple strudel. Okay. It's very American pie strudel. is also not a war film. <laughs> Depends who you ask. <laughs> We've got. Uh, oh, oh my God! I know oh. what it. Okay, show the next clue, but I'm pretty sure I know what it is. I, well, no, the next clue hasn't come out yet. Oh, uh, do I go for it? Go for it. I think you should go for it, Clarice. I, I really am rooting for you. If you get it in one. Apple strudel. You should do it. Okay. The next clue is a is a napkin with a lipstick mark on it. Oh yeah, yeah. Clarice is confident. If uh, I get it wrong now, it's gonna be so embarrassing. It's, it's, it's signed. It's signed from uh, an actress called Bridget. Um, I'm not gonna say the full name because I think it will give it away. But it's for somebody called Max, and it's signed from an actress called Bridget. Little kiss on a on a napkin. I don't think I've seen this movie. The third clue is. Uh, uh, is a is a bloody baseball bat. Okay, oh. I've 100% got this right. Well done, Clarice. Proud I don't of you. Think I've seen it. I think you it's don't think be a you've seen this, Paul? For heavy I, spoilers. Genuinely, Paul, I think you have seen I this. I think I've seen just, it. I've, 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 just I've, I've put my guess down as well. I don't. This. I would be surprised if you hadn't seen this. And the final clue are some names that people would wear on their head to play a game of what's this game called? Where you stick the names on your head and you try and guess what it is. Whatever that is. King Kong is one. Anybody? Paul, you no? No idea. Okay, Clarice, since you did the first guess, what do you think it is? It's Inglorious Bastards. It's Inglorious oh, Bastards. It did you get it as well, Joe? I also had Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Which clue did you get it on, Joe? The baseball bat. Okay, and Clarice, you got it on the first one. The strudel. Because I re suddenly remembered. Paul, that you have seen it? The yeah. Strudel. Of course I have. Yeah. And you know what the annoying thing is? Yeah. I actually went on your YouTube channel before and looked at your most popular videos yeah. and one of the highest viewed ones was you breaking down the body language behind Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, it is. Thanks for the plug. And I should have seen that and thought that's his favorite war movie, <laughs> but I didn't. It was Inglorious Bastards and you two can watch that on Prime Video right now along with loads of other great war movies. We'll be back next week when we'll be swapping the big screen for the small screen with me, Clarice and Joe. We'll be trying to figure out what the best sitcom ever made is along with Humzar Ashad. So subscribe and make sure notifications are turned on so you don't miss it and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Jazz hands. <laughs>